Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. You have your Bibles or you have an app on your phone or your tablet there. We're going to be in Acts chapter number 13. And Acts 13, we finished up Acts 12 last week. We were in Acts 12 for four or five weeks, I think, four or five Sunday mornings and finished it up last week. Today, we find our text in Acts 13. And this text, it marks a pivotal transition point in New Testament history, really in the early church history. Much of what we think of as the New Testament church and New Testament history revolves around the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And that is what we're about to jump into right here. Really the first half of Acts, the first 12 chapters, much of it revolved around the Apostle Peter. Now there are other characters of course in there, but much of it is Peter. Peter preaching at Pentecost, Peter preaching to, the, to Cornelius, Peter healing people, um, Peter in prison, Peter escaping from prison. Much of it revolves around the Apostle Peter. We're really not going to, we're going to hear about Peter one more time, the rest of Acts. And really what we're going to hear about today marks, we're embarking upon the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. Acts 13 marks the beginning of the widespread, far-reaching public ministry of one of the most prominent men in all of Scripture, the Apostle Paul. And uh, that man that would be used to write or pen uh, more books of the Bible than any other uh, man begins his first missionary journey here in Acts 13. We're back where we were in Acts 11. You recall Acts 12 took place in Jerusalem. Acts 11 was in Antioch, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, trying to get all of my things not to blow away here and my notes and my Bible pages. And, and normally I preach from an iPad. And my iPad is somewhere in Billings, Montana. And so I won't be preaching from an iPad this morning. But uh, uh, somebody got a new iPad in Billings, I guess. But I'm, I'm, uh, it's okay. It's all right. It's my fault. Somehow I left it in the airport there. And uh, I, I should try to blame it on one of my kids. But it was my fault this time. It wasn't any of their faults. And uh, so, but we're in Acts 11. We're in Antioch, about 300 miles north in Jerusalem in modern-day Syria, and we saw the church at Antioch, this amazing church, really the first Gentile church, this amazing church that God is going to use to send out the first, kind of the first missionaries. I mean, I guess all the disciples were missionaries going out preaching, but kind of commissioned from the church, the modern missionary, and they're going to go out from, from Antioch. That's where we're back. Uh, geographically, we're back in Antioch, and what we're going to see today is the most prolific church planner in scripture and maybe in all of history is taking his first steps onto the mission field that God has called him to. And uh, he's going to be called Paul for the first time here in Acts 13. Before this, he's always called Saul. And so Saul, the persecutor, becomes Paul, the preacher, Paul, the missionary. And today we're just going to look at the first five verses of Acts 13. If if you have your Bible, follow along with me, if you will. If you're, if you're reading from a, an app on a phone or a tablet, I'm reading from the King James Version of the Bible. Acts 13, beginning in verse number 1. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets, 
and teachers, as Barnabas, and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, literally had been brought up in Herod the Great's home. God has reached this man that grew up around great wickedness and evil. And Saul. I kind of like that, that, that Paul or Saul is listed last in that list. Because we think of him as kind of the, the greatest, but in this list, he's last. And I also like the two words there, and Saul, because it was just four chapters ago, Acts 9, that began with the words, and Saul. And there it was, and Saul, breathing out threatenings to the church. And Saul in Acts 9 is a persecutor of Christians and of the church. And Saul in Acts 13 is a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that the grace and the mercy and the gospel of Jesus can change any life. It can take anybody that might be that which the church was scared of. The one that was doing the persecuting we're going to see is going to be the one being persecuted for his faith. And Saul. Verse 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And, and, and we see in verse 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Up to this point, people leaving their homes to preach the gospel had, had been kind of an involuntary thing. There had been people that had left their homes to preach the gospel, but it was because they were under threat of imprisonment or, or worse, or death. Disciples had gone out to other cities and even other countries to preach the gospel, but really not by any choice of their own. It was because of the persecution in Jerusalem, they were scattered. Now for the first time, we see voluntarily God's people saying, God has a work for me to do. God has called me to leave my comfort zone, to leave my home, to leave my church, to leave my friends, to go and preach the gospel somewhere else. And in Acts 13, verse number 4. Acts 13, the breeze feels good to you, messes my notes up. Here we go. Acts 13, verse number 4. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. Seleucia was a port city there in Antioch. Then they're going to get on a boat. From thence they sailed to Cyprus. I showed us a map the last time we were indoors, this little island. Cyprus is where Barnabas was from. So Barnabas... He's very familiar with these surroundings. Verse 5, And when they were at Salamis, a city there on Cyprus, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And so while they're there, this would be Paul's pattern when he would go out on his missionary journeys. He often would first go to the, uh, to the synagogues of the Jews. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He was brought up in the Jewish religion. And so he would come in, and he had great respect because he spoke their language. He knew what they believed. He knew it better than they knew it. He knew what they taught. He knew it better than they knew it. And so he would come into the synagogues and he could very easily begin to talk to them about their religion and show them why they were missing out on a relationship with Jesus. So that's what happens here. And this is the beginning. Paul is going to take three missionary journeys and then another journey to Rome. This is the first missionary journey. Before this, Saul is really kind of an unknown character. He had preached, he had, he, had, he had been preaching for years, but he was pretty quiet in Scripture. But he comes, and the Bible tells us it was Paul and Barnabas, the church laid hands on and sent them out. And it said when they went out, they had John with them as a minister, as a sidekick, as a helper. That is John Mark. John Mark 
is going to leave them. And John Mark is actually going to be the reason in a few chapters why Paul and Barnabas, they split ways. John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. And so John Mark comes with them. John Mark is going to leave. And uh, praise the Lord. My message just got a lot shorter. All right. Titus, can you help me right there, son? There you go. And thanks, Marquise. And, uh, and uh, John Mark is going to leave them. Now you guys just counted how many pages I have. No, you're going to be counting when I'm going through. All right, what page is he on? And John Mark, John Mark is going to leave them, and then God's going to use John Mark again, but Paul's going to basically say he's good for nothing. He, he, can't, he can't hang, and so I don't want to work with him anymore. But that's where we find ourselves, and we, we find ourselves with the church sending people out, and uh, they're with John Mark. This first journey will be covered in the next two chapters, Acts 13, and all this is introduction, and then we'll jump into the message. The first journey that will be covered in the next two chapters, it's going to last about two years, this first missionary journey. It's going to take Paul and Barnabas to some 15 cities that will cover more than 1,200 miles. But before we get into any of the victories or defeats, the opposition or opportunities, the lives changed or the churches planted. We're going to get into that in Acts 13 and 14. But before we do, a convicting thought struck me as I studied the quiet beginnings of this public ministry that would send gospel shockwaves throughout the world and throughout millennia reverberating in your life and mine today some 2,000 years later. I believe what we're going to see in these first five verses is the secret to why Paul was so mightily used of God. I believe it's the missing ingredient in many believers' lives. And I believe it's why so many Christian families and even churches struggle. My message this morning is a question, and it's this. The title of my message is, Whose Work Is It? Whose Work Is It? Your life. Who has ownership? You know, the Bible says that we are stewards, not just of money. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to our care, our lives, our time, our talents, our gifts, our careers. The Bible says it's God that gives you the power to get wealth. Those are all gifts from God that we are stewards of. A steward is someone that manages somebody else's property or affairs. Whose work, whose life is it? Right now, if you were to say, who has control of your life? Is it you? Is it someone else? Is it God? Your family, whose family is it? Are those my children or are those eternal souls that God has entrusted to my care and I'm a steward? What did, what did Hannah say about Samuel? She said, the Lord has given me this and I give him back. They are eternal souls. The tisses are up there with a 10 or 11 day old baby, I guess. That child, and I, I say my children, I'm not saying you can't say these are my kids. I understand that. But philosophically understanding that is a, an eternal soul that will live forever, that, that little baby boy. And it is a gift from God. They are stewards to rear that child in God's nurture and admonition. That, that family that you have, whose is it? Who do they belong to? Uh, Joshua said it this way. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, what did he say? We will serve the, the Lord. Our church, whose work is this? Is this my church? Is this your church or is this God's church that we're a part of? 
We hear much about church, or maybe you don't, but being a pastor and being in vocational ministry, I hear much about church growth strategy and church growth conferences and church marketing and how to have entertaining children's programs and dynamic youth ministries and impressive music performances and polished multimedia presentations to accompany our services and immersive worship experiences. And we believe that God's work deserves the best and we try to do things with, with excellence and we believe that we should have what we want. Uh, in our, we're doing some remodeling and some upgrading in our auditorium so that we can preach the word with more clarity and we use technology and video. And There's nothing wrong with those things, but sometimes if we're not careful in church work as, as pastors or those of us in ministry maybe, there can be a danger to think, I've got to make it God's work look better and I've got to get better with my marketing strategy. And boy, and again, we try to have nice looking materials and brochures. I don't think God is honored with us doing less than our best. But, but sometimes the priority can be what I can control rather than understanding this is God's work. It's not about my marketing strategy or my manipulation or this immersive worship experience or this unbelievable children's program. And I thank God for our children's ministry workers that seek to do their best to invest in our kids. But, but the goal isn't, did we entertain people? No, whose work is this? It's God's. And it's one reason why our outdoor services have been kind of refreshing. They, they, they're not super impressive. You hear wind going through my, uh, my microphone on, on our $800 two-speaker portable sound system. And we're playing off of a keyboard and, and, and we're sitting in folding chairs. And, and it's a reminder of what's really important. Now, I'm not against, when we go back in there, we're going to use the slides and the screen. I'm not against those things, but it's a reminder of those things. What are we doing together? We're singing a couple songs together and we're praying together. And then we're opening God's word. I don't think this is an immersive worship experience. We're not entertaining. We're just trying to preach God's word. And we see here in, this, in these five works, we're, we're going to see these things in this passage of whose work is this. One of the blessings of being a part of, of, of the, uh, I got to find my notes. Sorry. There it is. All right. You can tell I haven't preached from paper notes for a few years. But our kids sitting under a tent, you sitting in your lawn chair, a good reminder about what really matters when we meet. I heard a statement recently that the pastor of one of the largest churches in America put out to his church a few weeks ago. And he announced that their church would not be gathering for in-person services. And by the way, every church and every pastor is leading in different ways and has different contexts and different concerns. I'm glad that I'm not making decisions for what a church of five or 10 or 20,000 people and the safety of that many people is doing. But I watched a video that this pastor put out and, 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 and he mentioned they won't be gathering together for the remainder of 2020. And that's his decision to make. But one of the main reasons for his decision, according to his, his announcement in light of the current guidelines, and I quote, he said this, if we did reopen, we certainly would not be able to create a quality adult or children's worship experience. He said, if we reopened, we, we're, one of the reasons we're not reopening is because we cannot create a quality adult or children's worship experience. And from a pastor's perspective, I say to that, who is this for? Who is the worship for? This isn't about me being entertained or impressed by the 
quality of worship, we should be able to gather together with 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 of us or a couple thousand, depending on how large the auditorium is. And it's not about, well, I was impressed or I was my, my quality worship experience. Oh, no. And again, I believe that this man is a good man who loves God. And I may be misunderstanding his intentions or his words. I've not spoken directly with him. But for me, when I watched it, his words communicate a misunderstanding of the reason that we gather together as a church family. And one of the dangers of, of the, the American church movement and maybe even the mega church movement, and by the way, I was saved in and served for 15 years in what would be considered a mega church. I'm not against large churches. The church that I served in on a weekly basis in Northern California, my home church, would have 2,500 people on a Sunday morning, large days of three or 4,000 people coming to church. I thank God for it. I was reached because of a mega church. I'm not, I'm, it's not a mega church is better, a small church is better, a medium-sized church is better. God uses all of them for his glory. But one of the dangers of American Christianity is, is, being, is being that we begin to entertain Christian consumers rather than equipping Christian servants. Let me say that again. A danger of the American church movement is that we begin to entertain Christian consumers rather than equipping Christian servants. In Scripture, I don't ever see where it's intended for our church services to be the priority, a quality worship experience that would be, be pleasing to the consumer. We're not called to be impressive. We're called to be impactful. We're not called to entertain. We're called to equip. We're not called to be fun. We're called to be faithful. And so the title of the message, Whose Work Is It? And I was struck Paul and Barnabas getting ready to embark upon a missionary journey that is going to send gospel shockwaves throughout the entire world. You and I, if we were to trace us getting the gospel, could probably trace the gospel back to Paul's missionary journeys, the churches that were planted in the book of Acts. The gospel came to us as Gentiles in America. If we traced it back a couple thousand years to what we're reading, and I think we find the secret to why God used him so mightily and so greatly in these first five verses. I want you to look back in verse number two. The Bible says uh, in verse number two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. I, I want to remind you, by the way, that our service is to the Lord. Our service is to the Lord. They fasted and prayed there as, they, as they, they, they did those things and they were sent by the Holy Ghost. It was God's work, not man's. Jesus said it this way in John 15. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. What, what is Jesus teaching? This is my work. Christian, whose work is it? Whose life is it? Is it yours or is it God's? Who has the priority and preeminence in your family? Is it what I want or what he wants? For our church, whose work is it? And Jesus told them, without me, ye can do nothing. It'd be like if we took a branch off that tree it's good for nothing. It's not going to produce any fruit. It's not going to produce any leaves. It's not going to do anything that God wants it to do. I've heard it said, any work of God done in the flesh is bound to fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. You know that churches 
we can, Christians in our lives, we can succeed without God, but it's not true lasting success. It's not eternal fruit and impact. And so the question today, how are we living our Christian life in the flesh or in the spirit? Who is our service for, ourself or the Savior? Who are we trying to please, man or God? Why do you give of your time and resources to the work of God? To be seen of man or to worship God? Notice it said in verse 2, it told us they were teachers and prophets, but notice what it said in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord, as they helped people, they were doing it for God. I read this statement. I've heard this statement. How do we know if you or I have a servant's heart? By how we respond when we are treated like a servant. What if we're given no reward or no recognition? If you're given no reward and no recognition and you get angry and upset, it tells us who we're serving, who we're doing it for. Well, they didn't recognize this and he didn't do that for me and the church didn't do that. Who are we serving? Whose work is it? Why do I think that God moved so mightily in the next 15 chapters of Acts? And why did the impact, and why do you think the impact of the church in Antioch through Paul and Barnabas was so widespread? Why were so many lives changed? I believe much of the secret lies in these first five verses. And if the ministry of Liberty Baptist Church is going to be of any eternal impact in the next 5, 10, 15, or 50 years of ministry, it's going to be in direct proportion to the similarities to the church, this church here. How do we know whose work it is? And all through here, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, verse two, separate me, the work I have called to them, them to. Verse three, when they had fasted and prayed, verse four, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, verse five, they preached the word of God. All through this, it's not about Paul and Barnabas. It's not about the church at Antioch. It says they laid their hands on them but they were sent out by the Holy Ghost. They were called by the Holy Ghost. They were sent out to preach the word of God. It didn't talk anything about the church in Antioch hardly. It was about the work I've called them to. The reason that God used Paul and Barnabas so mightily, I believe, is because they were fully surrendered to serving God and it was his work, not theirs. They were lifting up his name, not theirs. They were preaching Christ not themselves. Paul said it. We preach Christ in Colossians, not ourselves. It was all about Jesus. I love the songs that we sang today. We, we, we lift you and praise you. Bless you, Lord, God of the ages, highest of all. It's about him. And so the question, the message is, whose work is it? Your life, your family, our church, whose work is it? How do we know the answer to that? We find it in these five verses. I'm going to answer it by asking a few questions. How do we know whose work it is? We answer the question, number one, how is our service? How do we know whose work our lives is, our life is? How are we doing in serving? What does it say in verse, the first three words of verse two? As they, what church? As they, as they what? Ministered. Why did God use Paul and Barnabas so greatly in their public ministry? They were faithful in ministering when really they weren't well known in Scripture. They were there at the church in Antioch for over a year teaching and preaching the gospel. Paul, for about a decade, we hear nothing of him after his salvation. We don't exactly know where he went. We believe he was in Tarsus there, we know, because Barnabas went and got him there. We don't know what he was doing. He was ministering in the shadows. He was ministering quietly as they ministered. And if you want to know, is your life being controlled by you or God? One of the ways that we can know it is, how are we serving? 
Are we involved in areas of service? What did we do in this last week that wasn't meant to enrich our lives? What was meant to enrich the lives of others? Was meant to make a difference in the lives of others? Was meant to share the gospel with someone else? What did we do this week with our 168 hours, with our time, with our money, with our talents, with our gifts, with our abilities? What did we do this week to make a positive difference in the life of someone else? One of the reasons that God knew that Paul and Barnabas would minister so mightily to others because as they ministered where God had called them. Some people wonder, maybe teenagers, I wonder what God has for me next. Sometimes adults, I wonder what the next season of my life holds. My 20s, I wonder what my 30s hold. My 30s, I wonder what my 40s hold. I wonder where God's going to direct and how God's going to use and what God's going to do. May I say, if we're wondering what he's going to do tomorrow, let's ask ourselves, how are we doing in serving him now? Instead of worrying about the great works that God might have for us tomorrow, we should be focused on serving him in the small works he's called us to today. As John MacArthur said in his commentary on this passage, God chooses for further ministry those already actively serving him. God chooses for further ministry those already actively serving him. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Whose life is it? Who are we living for? We answer the question, how is our service? I don't know about you, but there are many days of my life, and I'm a pastor. Sometimes weeks of my life, maybe even seasons of my life, that I look back, and I really didn't intentionally serve all that many people. Now, I did my vocational duties, but how am I doing in living for others within my own house, outside of my house, in my neighborhood, at work? Your life and mine, we want to answer the question, whose work is it? The first way we answer that is we, we answer, how is our service? Number two, how do we answer, how do we know whose work it is at, in our church, in our lives, in our families? Number two, not only how is your service, but number two, who are you serving? Notice the next three words in verse two. As they ministered, next three words, to the who church? To the who? To the Lord. That's interesting. Because the Bible told us they were teachers and preachers in the church at Antioch. So you know what that, that shows us? They were, they were doing things for other people, but they weren't doing it for other people. Does that make sense? They were doing it for God. And when your service is to the Lord, you can put up with a whole lot of stuff from other people. God, this service is for you, so if I don't get any rewards from other people, I know that you're watching. God, this service is for you. I'm, I'm teaching this class for your glory. So if I don't get any recognition for that, that's okay. It was, I wasn't doing it for recognition. I was doing it for you. My services. Now, they were serving people, but their service was to the Lord. By the way, the Bible says, if you give a, that Jesus is talking and, and he says, there's going to be a come a time where you're going to come and say um, that, that, that you didn't do anything for me. And then you're, I'm going to say, when I was hungry, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When, when, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And they're going to say, when did we do this? I, I didn't, I, I, we never did that. We didn't see you hungry and make you a meal. Jesus, we never saw you thirsty and gave you a drink. When did this happen? And what does Jesus say? If you do it to the least of these in my name. Now, you did it to someone else, but you did it for me. You did it for the right reasons. Not for your glory. Not to be seen of men. You did it to serve me. He said, and as much as you've done it to them, you've done it to me. 
In Colossians, Paul taught the church at Colossae, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Basically, employees do what your bosses say, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Colossians, uh, Colossians says, knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. You know what Paul was teaching the church at Colossians? No matter what you do, it's for him. If you're an electrician, yes, you're serving people, but you do that for his glory. If you, you work as a lawyer, you do that for him. Whatever your vocation is, you do that. It's not, it's not for you. It's not for your financial gain only. It's not for you. Yes, you, you meet the needs of your family, and those are biblical principles, but it's not just for your comfort and for your growth. Whatever God has called you to do, servants, obey your masters in, in all things, not with eye service as men pleasers, but singleness of heart. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. If you're a nurse, serve the Lord through your calling and vocation. If you're a teacher, serve the Lord through your calling and vocation. And so who, not only how is your service, but who are you serving? Who are you living for? Are you living for yourself? You've probably heard it said, a person wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. We spend so much time of our time on this earth serving ourselves or serving for other people's approval, which by the way, if you're serving for somebody else's approval, that's just another way of serving yourself. I want them to notice me so that I look better in their eyes in that social circle. I hope pastor knows how much I gave in the offering there. And I hope that church member noticed what a great job I did there. And really, you're still just serving yourself. I want people to know how great he, Oh, no. Why should we serve? Who are we serving? We're serving the Lord. I'm not serving. Uh, I shouldn't be serving to gain your approval. This is not my church. It's God's church. You're not my people. You're God's people that I'm privileged to lead and serve with. You're not serving me as church members serving the pastor. You and I are serving him. And we should not be seeking to build a name or a kingdom for ourselves. We should be seeking to build the kingdom of God. Whose work is it? For Paul and Barnabas, it was all about him. How is your service as they ministered? Are you involved in anything that serves outside of your comfort zone? your four walls, your family? How is your service? Who are you serving? Number three, how is your sacrifice? How do we know whose work it is? How is our sacrifice? Notice what it says in verse number two. Follow along. We'll wrap this up here in a few moments. Verse number two. As they ministered, how is your service to the Lord? Who are you serving? Notice the next two words. Verse two, what are the next two words, church? After, as they ministered to the Lord, ready, begin, and, and what? And what? Fasted. What is that? That's skipping a meal. That's doing, doing without something that I want that makes me feel good so that I can spend that time. Often fasting is, is associated with prayer. Not always, but very often it's associated with prayer. I'm going to take away, I'm going to withdraw from eating a meal or maybe a full day or maybe a week or whatever it might be. I'm not going to eat food, and instead, I'm going to spend that time in prayer. 
I, I have fasted uh, throughout my life, and it, the Bible talks about you shouldn't make a show of it, and, and so I, I, that's not what I'm seeking to do, but I can tell you, I can't explain it, but there is something very spiritual that happens when you withdraw from fleshly things. You sacrifice some fleshly area that you enjoy in order to spend that time in prayer or in service or in meditation or whatever it might be. There's something that God does in our hearts and the Bible says there are some prayers that God, the Bible says this kind cometh about but by prayer and fasting. There are some things that the Bible sees that our willingness, our desire to fast. One in our lives, God was doing a work in our hearts probably seven, eight years ago. And I did an extended fast. Why? I knew God was doing something. I didn't know how he was leading and what he was doing. Now I look back, I believe he's preparing us to move here to serve in this capacity. But there was a time where I said, God, I know something's happening in my heart and in my life. And God, I need you. I need you to to show me what that is. I need you to help me to know. And God, I'm going to do without some food. I'm going to make some sacrifices so that I can know you more. In our lives, how is our sacrifice and fasted? When was the last time you gave up something of comfort so that you could serve the Lord or draw closer to Him? I'm going to give up that time in my life. I'm going to give that up in my life and fasted. When was the last time we prioritized a a church service over another priority in our life on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night? We gave up our time to seek God. We missed out on a physical comfort and desire for a spiritual pursuit. Number one, how do we know whose work it is, our lives? Who controls us? How is our service? Who are we serving? How is our sacrifice? Have we done anything to sacrifice for God's calling in our lives? Number four, Number four, how do we know whose work it is? We answer the question, who is controlling you? Who is controlling you? Notice it says in verse number three, and the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. It was God's work in their lives. Verse four, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. They were controlled by the Spirit. Your life or mine, if you were to say, this week, I was controlled by my flesh or I was controlled by my Spirit. Separate me to the work I have called them. I fulfilled my dreams and desires. I fulfilled God's plan and calling. Who is controlling you? Who are you serving? Who are you living for? Are you serving your flesh or the Spirit? Teenager, are you pursuing your dreams or God's plan? Adults, are you pursuing your dreams or God's plan? I talked about this. I try not to say to to kids, especially teenagers, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or what do you want to be? Or what are your plans after you graduate? May I say, that's not the question any of us should be answering. Well, I've always wanted to be. Well, I really want to. Well, I'm planning to. The answer that all of us should be answering is, what has God called us to do? How is God leading us? Well, I believe God would have me to serve in this capacity. I believe God has equipped and gifted and opened the doors for me to serve in this way. This is my passion. God wants me to be a teacher. God's leading me to be a doctor. God has called me to be a nurse. And, And by the way, we can all fool everybody and say that, but in our heart of hearts knowing, this is God's plan and pattern for my life. Who are we? He he said, Paul, by the way, you you think Paul and Barnabas, they didn't have any other thing they could have been doing? Paul had a a vocation. 
We know that Paul made tents. We know that Paul could have made a living doing other things. But God had a work for him to do. And Paul and Barnabas said, we'll leave home. We'll leave comfort. We'll do what God wants us to do. Is your life for your glory or his glory? Are your accomplishments just to make a better life for your family or to bring more people into his family? I don't care where you work or how much you make or what your vocation is. All of us should be seeking to fulfill the work that God has called us to. He has given all of us gifts and opportunities and abilities. And you work in landscaping, that should be for the glory of God. And you're a painter, that should be for the glory of God. That should be for the, used for the furtherance of God's kingdom. How are you using your life to further God's work and plan? Let me ask that question again. How are you using your life to further God's work and plan? My, our family spent three or four days in Montana this past week. Our first visit, beautiful state. And we were there and we stayed in the property of a pastor's son who is now a professional hunter. For 13 years, he's had his own hunting show, television show on DirecTV. He works as a marketing director for a, a large hunting rifle company. He's traveled the world, been all over the world, guiding expeditions and doing different things. Beautiful land and property that God's given to him. Acres, he, they, their home sits on about 20 acres. They have a guest lodge there. He then owns a mountain, literally owns a mountain. It's a different world in Montana. He owns a mountain that he used for a long-range shooting school that he, that he helps to head up and teach. And we were there with them and, and every TV show that they've run for 13 years before the guys for Duck Dynasty were doing it, he and his family bow their head to pray at the end of every episode. He has spoken at hunters and sportsmen's banquets and churches nearly a thousand times, giving the gospel to tens of thousands of men that maybe never otherwise would have come to church. He told me that to, by, by God's grace last year in those sportsman banquets where he goes and talks about his experience in hunting and then preaches the gospel. In, in those events last year, 700 people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, some people could say, well, he must be living for himself. He's got a beautiful home and thousands of acres of property and a, a lodge and, and he's got horses and horse trailers and we went with him to a rodeo to watch his son do team calf roping in the rodeo and he's got all of these things and, and he must be living for himself. May I tell you, I was there and God has opened doors and given him gifts and abilities that I don't have and given him access and, and because of that, hundreds of people will be in heaven because of his vocation. I'm not saying that for us to say that God's we're following God's plan. We all have to be preachers or missionaries. I'm not saying that, but all of us should use what God's given us for God's glory. He and his wife have used their property to host thousands of people, believers and unbelievers alike, to bless and refresh and help them. He asked our boys one day, we were driving back from a hike in the mountains. He asked our boys, what do you think God would have for you to do when you, when you get out of your home and kind of for your future? And one of our boys said, well, I think God would have me to serve in ministry. Another one of our boys said, I think God wants me to be a missionary. And, 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 and another one of our boys, I thought uh, Trey was going to say something about be a policeman or something like that. And, and he said, well, I, I don't know if he just heard his brothers, but I think God wants, he's eight years old. I think God wants ministry. Well, my boys, when they're saying that because of what they've seen in our home, they're talking about what we would call vocational ministry. They're going to get a paycheck from a church somewhere. That, that's, I, I believe that's what they're talking about, what we might call full-time Christian service. 
And here's what this man said, this godly Christian man. He said to them, he said, well, boys, whatever God leads you to do, you should be in ministry. Whatever your vocation, you should be using it to serve God. Who is controlling you? I've got to let you go. It's hot out here today. Let me finish it. Number five, how is your willingness to send and go? Verse three, when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands and they sent them away. We should, as a church, regularly have people giving their lives to serve in different capacities. Maybe as a full-time missionary or a church planner, the Malapudis who are watching online, they're retired from their career and now they go to their home country of India several times per year to share the gospel. We, how is our willingness to send, to give to missions, to give, to pray, to go? Number six, and lastly, we're done. How is, how do we know whose work it is? How is our preaching? And they preached the word of God. Christian, who are we telling of Jesus? Their purpose was to tell everyone they could about God. Who are we preaching? They preached the word of God. It was his work, not theirs. Their preaching wasn't their ideas or their opinions or their traditions or their preferences. Their preaching was filled with the word of God. We, we shouldn't come to church. Oh, I wonder what funny stories or cutting political rhetoric or entertaining illustrations I might hear. We should be coming to hear Christ preach, Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ. One of the blessings of COVID has been that many churches have expanded their online presence in their church services. And I've turned into different parts of scores of different church services. And I don't remember, it was a couple of weeks ago, I saw one on Facebook, a, a church service popped up and I clicked as I have probably a few times a week, I'll click and listen in for a few minutes to other churches. And it was right when the preaching was beginning and I clicked and I listened, right as the pastor stood up to begin his message. And I was saddened as there was probably 20 minutes of preaching before the Bible was ever referenced. In that 30 or 35 minutes of preaching, the Bible was given a passing glance. Well, we're right here. There was no explanation. There was no background. There was no context. There was no talking about what God was doing or how. The points didn't point back to the Bible. It was a pastor, and I've, I've been guilty of this myself in the past, and so this is not me saying I'm better than someone else, but God knows I want it to be that when you come to Liberty Baptist Church, you hear the Word of God preached, not the Word of Ryan. And if you ever go to a church anywhere else, if God leads you somewhere else, it should not just be entertaining or funny or moving or emotional. It should be the power of the word of God. Whose work is it? This is God's work. How do we know that? One of the ways we know it is by who and how are we preaching? They preached when they were at Salamis. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to their minister. Why, do, why should we be preaching the word of God systematically? Because it is our work, not God's. We are, building our, we are not building our kingdom, we're building God's. To be frank, I, I'm, I'm not too concerned with that church that I watched online or any other church. I'm more concerned with my own life, how much of God's word is in my life. I'm more concerned with my family with the church that God has called me to lead, whose work is it? Your life. Whose work is it? Your family. Whose is it? Is it yours or is it his? Your children. Whose are they? Are they God's or are they yours? Why did God use Paul and Barnabas in such a mighty way? I think the answer is found in those five verses. Prayed, fasted, ministered, willing to go sacrificed, 
It was God calling them. It was God leading them. They were preaching God's word. Whose church is it? Who is it set up to please? These six questions will answer that. How is our service? Has it been weeks or months since we truly served anyone? Who are we serving? Are we doing it for man or are we doing it for God? How is our sacrifice, fasting, prayer, priority to the things of God? Who is controlling us? Are we living for self or for the Savior? How is our willingness to send and go? And how is our preaching? Who are we telling and what are we telling them? Have you shared Jesus Christ with anybody in 2020? They went out preaching the word of God. Whose work is it? By God's grace, I pray that my life will truly belong to him. That our family will be dedicated to him. And that Liberty Baptist Church will truly be a work of God, not of man. And I pray the same for your life and for your family. Life is too short to spend it all doing what just makes us comfortable and what we enjoy. Know that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series. 